Welcome to season two of the Everyday People podcast with me, your host, Nyung Vo, all the way from London. I'm your everyday person whose mission is to give everyday people a platform to share their incredible story, learnings and life tools to inspire you to create your best life. I believe that you don't have to be famous, turn over a million a year or be in a high position to have something powerful to share and leave a positive impact on your community. I believe the only prerequisite is that you are being you and you are living the amazing life that is in alignment with you. That is enough to inspire me to go live my best life. Will you join me on this journey of sharing, learning and living alongside everyday people? In episode two of Everyday People podcast, I have Jason Kerwinhoven, who is my colleague at my current job, uh, where I'm working on a crossrail project where we're building the new train station. Jason is a section engineer on this project, and you've been a section engineer for a year and a half. Yeah. But before being a section engineer, Jason was a surveyor. You're basically involved in a project right from the start to the finish. So someone has a block of land, say, for example, it's just grass and trees. And so you go out and survey it and you tell them exactly what they have to work with. Then there's a design overlaid on top of that, which you then have to go out as a surveyor and set out the design in relation to that existing land. It's all riveting (laughs) stuff. The cool thing about you is that Jason's a Kiwi and he's been here five years now. Do you want to talk about What made you decide to come to London and what made you stay? It's always been in the back of my mind to come over here. Like a lot of my mates when we were at uni and afterwards, we were all like, right, we'll go and work for a few years, save up and then go and explore the world. And London's a great spot for that. It's such a good base. I got here, there were a bunch of uni mates already here. They were settled in, which makes life a lot easier. Yeah, initially it was sort of like (laughs) a second uni because... London's such a busy, happening, fun, cultural, vibrant place. So much to see and do. And it's so easy to travel everywhere that you work to save up for the next holiday. That was the first few years. And we had a great time. And go to Oktoberfest and sail trips, going to see different parts of Europe. So what do you think was your biggest takeaway during that experience of just having a good time, hanging out with mates? I guess anything's possible and you can sort of do what you want with life and there's so many options available to you and that you have to take opportunities pretty much. Mm. Don't take it too seriously. Our work, as you know, it's high pressure and that there's lots of pressure from different angles all the time. There's certain times where you do need to be serious. I think especially with the people that you work closely with, you want to be able to have a bit of fun. Work hard, play hard, I think has always been one of my mottos. You're just good at looking like you're not doing work because you're just always making jokes, but you pump out the work (laughs) at the same time. So what's a Kiwi thing about you that you'd refuse to let go of while you're living in London besides your accent? I think I'm very stubborn. Flora, my wife, will be able to back me up on this. There's a lot of words that we use back home that aren't used here and vice versa. And pretty much I'm like, I'm not using that. (laughs) That's what I know it as. That's what I'm going to keep calling it. Yay. We want to know that you're a Kiwi. Don't lose it. So what are some words? Hey. Hey. (laughs) It's hard to lose that one. I think it's that whole Kiwi thing of wanting everyone's buying. You say, hey. Yeah. Wanting wanting people to be like, yes, we agree with you. It's very friendly vibes. (laughs) Lollies. Lollies. Like candy. Got a sweet tooth. Yeah. You know, people in London call a lolly ice cream. Yeah, they go... 
an ice block is an ice lolly. Yeah. <laughs> Strange times. What is your favourite thing about London? Just the opportunities and the amount of stuff that's going on all the time on any given night. And I know at the moment, and you haven't unluckily been able to experience that yet because of all these lockdown, but back in normal times, any night of the week, I may go, do you want to go to this gig or do you want to go and try this or go to this exhibition? Pretty much you can jump on a the tube or a train or a bus and half an hour to an hour away from where you live can feel like a completely different city. Or yeah, there's lots of cities and, in London. Yeah, with different characters. I didn't realise how green a city it was, which is nice as well. That's true. Like there's so many green spaces around London, like all the commons, which I, I didn't even know what a common was before I came I don't know what a commons is. <laughs> so I got taught by Flora that a park has a fence around it and it gets closed. Wait, let's just let everyone know that Jason is married to Flora, who's a Londoner. Well, you've been together for four years. So, yeah, tell us about the common. Uh, A common is a common place. Generally, it's just like a big random piece of land that has strange boundaries, I guess. Like the shape of it can be whatever. This was another crazy thing when you move here as well especially in summertime, the common in London is pretty much the beach to everyone. People get their, get their bikinis on. It's tops oh, off for my the God. <laughs> During lockdown, right, I'd be in London Fields or Hackney Downs, which is close to where I'm living, and, yeah, that people be in their bathers and it was so it's strange. It's a weird feeling when you first see it. Are you like, is that okay? Here? And the grass grows horizontally. Have you noticed that? I haven't noticed that. No way. The sideways grass. Yeah. And it's very muddy, muddy and sideways growing. Our grass is short and it grows upwards. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most English dish that Flora has introduced you to? Or an English tradition? Like how about Sunday roast? It's such a big English thing to do roast every Sunday. Do you guys do that? Yeah, for sure. I hate to bring it up all the time, but before coronavirus, we used to have a lot of family roasts, which is great. And we're starting to get back into it once once we're allowed. Like you go out to have it, you mean? Flora's parents have us around for, for roasts quite regularly, which is great. But yeah, the pubs do some great roasts. And even pubs, like that's not a thing back in New Zealand as much as it is here. There's so much of a love for pubs over here. People were up in arms when they were like, what, they're closing the pubs? How dare they? And as soon as they came back, everyone was just so excited to get back into them. And there's just so much of a culture of socialising with people. They do do good good food, good roast. It is a very social city. But when you think, talk about pubs and rows, the one thing I cannot ever forget is my first Yorkshire pudding in Manchester. (laughs) I can't believe I'm the only person who like is shocked about this. I didn't know what it was when it was sitting on my plate. It had this like weird sauce in it and I pushed it away and I didn't eat it. And then it turns out it's everyone's favourite part. Yeah. But when I when I learned that it was gravy all over it. I didn't know it was gravy. I'm like, what's this like salty thing on this thing that isn't even a pie? I was so confused. But once I realized it was just pastry and gravy, that's when I enjoyed it. This is your favorite part of the roast now. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite part of the roast now. I'm interested to hear about what's it like growing up in the regional part of Auckland, because you mentioned you live two hours away from Auckland and then you're able to thrive in a busy bustling city like mm. London. <laughs> You're basically a country boy in my eyes. So growing up was a town boy and pretty much every single weekend would go to my grandparents' farm and that was that was great. Learn how to get dirty and get get stuck in. 
and work hard and enjoy the land and play in wild open space. And yeah, it was fun. And then I guess university was quite different in terms of Dunedin was a lot more city focused. And I know like compared to here, Dunedin's got 100,000 people. That's <laughs> People don't call that a city <laughs> in most parts of the world, but I guess because of New Zealand's population, we count it as a city. And again, it's that whole thing of when you're in the centre of a city, just because the population's smaller, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not a city. Mm. Like There's still all the same stuff going on in that area. But I would but say in a smaller city, it's less liberal than a big city. Yeah, for sure. Like, and there's more characters in a big city, like more yeah, exploration more, of self. More and, and yeah. yeah. I find it a little bit intimidating because London is definitely bigger personality than Melbourne. It is, for sure. And especially even coming here to the studio, it's like so different from where I live down in the southwest. As you say, there's so so much character everywhere you go. Trendy and people. and tr- yeah. Trendy people like yourself. <laughs> How about advice for moving over to a new country and making friends? How have you done that? Being social definitely helps. You have to want to go out and have to want to talk to people that you don't know. In the workplace, I guess, you make a lot of friends and, and friends of friends. And then at the same time, a lot of my lifelong friends now are people who I met when I first moved over here through mates from back home who have now gone home. So it's all this big interconnected worldwide friendship, I guess. Jason, you just sound like you're very lucky because I feel like everything's just flowed so easy for you in London. It just feels like it's your second home already. It does feel like home, yeah. Is there any struggles that you had to overcome through your move and making decisions to stay? It's not a decision that's easy to make, I think. Both Flora and I did think long and hard about it because it is hard not seeing the people that you care about, the people that you love often, especially now that we we can't travel. And we were talking about it earlier today. Like, if you want to go home, you're going to have to quarantine for a long time. You're going to have to pay a whole bunch of money. So it's it's really difficult just to see the people that you care about. One thing that made moving and, and staying over here easier is that I thought a lot of my family live in Australia. And you probably see them once a year, maybe twice a year, maybe maybe less. And so you just have to make those times that you do see them special. And there are so many people that you don't keep in contact with as much as you'd like to, but you just got to gotta make it work. One thing you have <clears throat> conquered and achieved that I'm starting to think about is that you've bought your first home in London. Oh, my God. You got married to a Londoner and now you've bought your first home. I want to know what are some things that you've learned about being a first homeowner that you wished you knew before? It's exciting. I would definitely recommend it to everyone. If you do have that opportunity, definitely push hard to try and get your own place and make it your own. It is a lot of hard work. You have to pretty much set your mind to it. And that's what Flora and I did. And you have to make some sacrifices. And like, I think a key part of it is budgeting and that you have to set your goal of what you can achieve when you can achieve it by. What are some tips that you have found that you easily stick to? An easy one to do was generally, I guess most people, have a set amount of money coming in. And if you set up another account, depending on how much self-control you have, put a set amount of money in that that you know you're not going to touch. So if you set your budget and you go, here's how much I have to spend on like living. And then there's how much you want to save. I guess that last little bit is how much fun money you've got left over. So you had to consistently put money aside in a house account every month? Yeah, pretty much. 
six months before we bought, we moved back in with Flo's parents who were happy to have us and we're very grateful for that because that meant we didn't have to save rent and try and save a, a deposit as well. So when you can focus on putting all that rent money straight into a, a deposit, especially in London, you know how much yeah, London how expensive rent is. is yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it, for one room. My parents always tell me, Nyung, why are you renting? Stay at your parents' Stay house and just save money till you can buy a house. And I'm sort of you like... be free. Yeah, I want to experience life. I want to be independent. But I get that. It's a good idea when I decide to buy a house and save money to come back home and sacrifice that freedom to save up that money faster. So I'm glad you did that. But what are some sacrifices besides having to live at her parents' house? that you had to make during your budgeting. Don't go on that holiday or like don't just because you want those new clothes or expensive food or go to the pub for a few more drinks. It's, it's all that stuff that adds up. Mm. It's not one big sacrifice. You can't just drop one thing and be like, right, we're saving for a deposit now. It's just you've got to be mindful of all those little things that add up over time. If you were to buy another home, what have you learned from the process of buying this home? Having a good solicitor helps because... There's so much jargon because people don't buy homes regularly. Well, some people may do. That's but true. It's not something that you're like going out to do the shopping. There's just so much that you don't know is going on in the background. And you need someone who does do it every day. You put an offer in on a place that you like, which is what we did. And then whoever owns it accepts it. And then you go, well, what actually happens now? <laughs> what are all the steps? And so, again... Do your research or if you know a good solicitor, try and find someone who, who's reputable and, and can help you through the process. I never Baby thought steps. about that. <laughs> it's sort of like a client on a train station project paying a builder. Rather than trying to just do it all themselves. Yeah, so paying a builder like BBMV to manage the subcontractors because... Because they're the experts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Link back to work. Yeah. To be honest, I only started thinking about buying a house because I just realized how important a home is. Like when I'm moving around and don't know where I'm living next, it doesn't feel very stable. And is it especially being so far from home as well has made you feel, I guess? Yeah, my, my body's telling me it's way. not in its comfort zone. But I yeah. feel like if I have my own home, then I kind of have control over my environment. If I'm ready to come back home, I have something to come to. to, come to yeah. At the moment, it's just where am I going to be living next all the time? And I don't think it's something my body is happy about. <laughs> like when you are renting, it just never quite feels like your home, is it? I don't care about like, it as much, you know? Yeah. Hey, it's Annie Louie here, co-producer of the Everyday People podcast and Nung's first ever guest. We are super excited because season two has been made possible thanks to the support of our brand new sponsor, Alchemy Construct. If you haven't heard of them, Alchemy Construct is an innovative commercial construction company in Melbourne who have worked on massive projects like the Royal Melbourne Hospital, RMIT University, and now this podcast. To find out more about their work, head to alchemyconstruct.com or feast your eyes on their beautiful Instagram page at Alchemy Construct. Now let's get back to the juicy stuff. All right, so I did ask you to bring in a book. Yes. And you brought in this awesome book called Feral. <laughs> Feral, it's got a great name. Do you want to tell us about Feral and how you came across it? Yeah, sure. So Feral is by a guy called George Monbiot. I think that's how you say it. I'm not entirely sure. That sounds right. <laughs> 
And it's about rewilding, which I think is becoming a popular thing at the moment. And rewilding is just about letting nature kind of take its own course. And I think we can all see it. The world is being shaped so much by humans that we're not letting nature take its own course kind of anywhere. We're just controlling every part of it, which to me doesn't seem right. So this book came from us going to one of the exhibits on trees (laughs) and how important they are in our world and that we need to protect them. So yeah, rewilding's not necessarily about like, let's get a bear and throw it into the bush and see if it survives or (laughs) wild animals like that. It's, It's more your childhood and your upbringing back home where you're like, go to a place maybe infrequently or not that often and you'll go ah this brings back so many memories and because it brings back so many memories it's the way that you think it's always been and that's how it should always be but that's not necessarily the case a few generations ago maybe someone did burn down a whole bunch of forest or bush or whatever it was and it has forever changed that landscape and Mm. rewilding's more instead of going here's how we need the land to be and it may be that you're not using it as productive land but you're not trying to stop it from evolving how it wants to. Yeah. And like reintroducing some species that you may not see as big and important, but they were part of that ecosystem previously and was once important to that area. So from reading this book, do you think you have adopted any rewilding things in your garden? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's like one corner of our garden where we just leave that to to grow as it wants to and... (laughs) It's called a bug hotel. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. That's the best. Okay, tell us about the bug hotel. I don't even know if it gets used a whole lot. <laughs> We're not checking in bugs, but it's just a place that the bugs kind of have a home for a while if they need one and, and to use that little corner of the garden as they want to. What I love about what you said about rewilding is letting nature take its course. It's actually something that I've been thinking about and I posted on Instagram about it yesterday. I'm relating it back to life because humans and how we live life is part of nature as well. And what I've noticed is that when I work full-time and I'm really busy and, you know, working till I'm fatigued, I feel like I'm not letting life kind of take me. Flow where it it needs to be. Yeah, so I'm kind of blocking that by just doing, 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 just like how we are doing, doing, doing to the environment so we're not letting it flow. But we're doing it to ourselves as well. Yeah, for sure, and I think... Like the world is constantly getting faster. We need to fit more in. We all feel like we need more, more, more. But I don't know, maybe rewilding, as you said, like links to us as well in terms of mindfulness. And that's so important as well. Like everyone who's working knows it is full on. You need to be able to take a step back and relax and and clock off and take time for you. Because otherwise, as you say, like you just end up burning out. And when we rewild ourselves, we will notice nature more. We will notice the trees and the plants. I'm only sort of partway through this book, but that's what he's noticed or what he brings up in this book as well, is that we're becoming further removed from the environment and you don't notice things that people who had more time and energy for the environment notice, like the lack of birds in particular areas or like native birds or the calls on a bird path now but like <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily know the calls of birds or like exactly if they're sending out a warning sign because they're so in tuned with nature themselves that people who are out there all the time and experiencing it mm. are more in tune with that part of the world so this is probably going to be your favorite part <laughs> i'm up to five quick questions Ooh. first question is how do you switch off after work <laughs> yeah, i was going to go into a long winded answer but <laughs> no go on I think a good one is cycling home. I'm not doing it enough, but physical activity is so important to me. And it helps you 
sort of clock off from work because you can concentrate on that and push yourself. Sometimes it hurts while you're doing it, but definitely feel the benefits after you've done it. If you're not cycling, what's something that you could do? Love to go for a run. And again, in nature, try and get off the footpaths and get into like the commons and going for bush runs, especially when we're on holidays or back home. Didn't mention it earlier, but you did rugby when you were younger? I did rugby, yeah. Professional rugby? No. Nearly, (laughs) nearly. Go on, tell the story. I guess like I was into soccer or football, they call it over here. From a young age, I wasn't good at it at all. And people were like, why don't you try rugby? Because you're fast. So yeah, started playing rugby. One of my best mates at the time was really good at rugby. And he was like, don't worry, mate, I'll have you back and I'll show you how to play. And so yeah, we started playing rugby and I was generally pretty good at the time and sort of got into regional teams. And then in my second year, so year 13, and this is (laughs) <laughs> pretty funny sorry like because my nana used to drive my sister and i to school so one morning just sitting in the back of her car my phone's ringing i'm like 17 years old answer the phone hi this is gordon titchens and i was like whoa which as a kiwi like he's a pretty big deal he's the new zealand sevens coach and was for a very long time the most successful coach in the world pretty much in terms of wins and he was like we've got a trial on this afternoon i just want to know if you'll be available to come and trial for new zealand sevens team i was like what (laughs) i just remember being so shocked at the time so yeah like that was almost as far as it went it was very exciting i remember going into school just went up to the teacher and was just like miss is it all right if i take this afternoon off because i got a call from titchens and he wants me to come and try i just remember the look on my my form teacher's face when i said that to her and she was sort of shocked in her face and she's just like uh yeah yeah i think think that'll be okay (laughs) yeah you're gonna be famous Yeah, went and did like a few trials, got some good feedback, but that was pretty much as far as it went. What is one non-negotiable thing that you need to have in life to keep you sane? A sense of humour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think life's serious enough. Like every day you're making tens of thousands of decisions. Mm. Some of them serious, some of them not so serious. And I think just being able to be silly and have a laugh just keeps things real. That's one thing I always wonder about you because I sit next to you. I don't know, like, I don't know how to tap into that sense of humor because I'm not very funny. (laughs) Is it just natural for you? I've been told I'm a serious person. So give me advice. How do I I be more silly at work? I think you're serious at the right times. And probably the people telling you that you're serious, the people that you need to be serious around, right? When we're being serious at work and doing work, that's what the focus is on. But we have laughs just in and around doing those serious things. So I don't think you're serious. I'm good. (laughs) What is one simple thing that brings you joy? Beer. (laughs) (laughs) Beer is simple. It's three ingredients. Barley. Hops. Hops. And water, I think. Is it actually beer? I mean, if you needed to bring joy into your life one day, would it be beer? One thing that brings me joy is being around people that I can be myself around. Like That's my serious answer. Really? I'm so surprised because I feel like you're always yourself around everyone. Yeah, to a degree. Probably just more silly outside of work. Because you're such a positive vibe, funny guy, (laughs) I want to know what the internal dialogue that you kind of have with yourself that helps you to stay motivated? Is there anything that you tell yourself in your head that you don't really reveal, that you can reveal to us (laughs) on the podcast? I think I'm just competitive. And although I do enjoy being silly, I also want to be the best at whatever I try and do. So I try and put a lot of my energy into doing that. So you you tell yourself, I want to be the best at this and kind of push for it. Yeah. Wow. I don't have that motivation. That's very (laughs) admirable. 
I like that. And I suppose, yeah, that comes back to that whole sports thing as well. Just wanted to compete and be the best, not yeah. necessarily against other people. You do know that not everyone is like that, where they think, I want to be the best. So it's actually such a like a nice trait to have in someone that you employ or a colleague because they've just got this energy. <laughs> yeah, and energy is important. And you're totally right. Like the people around you who have good energy make life easier. Mm. And so you want to hang around those people with good energy. Mm. Our team... At work, like we've got a great, great working environment. I'm pretty happy with our team. <laughs> Definitely everyone's self-motivated for a construction team of men plus me. Everyone's always smiling. Happy. It's very comforting for a woman to be in a team like that. Is there one thing that you want to do that you have not expressed yet that you can express on this podcast so that you can make yourself accountable to do it? Because I love hearing people's dreams. <laughs> Run a marathon. <laughs> Run a marathon. Do a marathon in London or wherever. Yeah. Definitely. And do it as a fundraiser. That's it's a good motivation because it's... Helping other people. You've just listened to the Everyday People podcast with Nyung Vo. You can find out more about Jason on LinkedIn. Listen to more episodes of the Everyday People podcast with inspiring everyday people on iTunes or Spotify.